You're listening to Manner of Speaking with Greg Mayu. Today's episode Flipping Over. I was sitting in the smoker's pit at school one day and this guy biked up. He um, wasn't wearing a shirt and he had like a really nice body. He's tall and thin. He had his nipples pierced. He had long um, bleach blonde ponytail and like a goatee and kind of a scar over one eye. Like he was really interesting looking and he had a tongue ring and he just looked hardcore. He just stopped, like he came by and he stopped and I was out there with a friend of mine and he stopped his bike and he started having a smoke with us. And the things that came out of his mouth were so prolific. He talked like he was an English major and his voice was beautiful. And it was one of those things where I was just instantly just drawn and attracted to this guy. And I knew that he was like evil and bad, but I was attracted to him anyway. And so was my friend, because as soon as he left, she and I started talking about him and hoping that we would see him again sometime. And then sure enough, I did. And he ended up asking me out for a coffee. And we started hanging out a lot after that. We pseudo-dated, but he had a girlfriend in Boston with an open relationship and blah, blah, blah. But the, the moral of the story was that the first time that he asked me out for coffee, we went to this place called La Madeline, and he started talking to me about acid. And I was really interested because the only thing up to that point that I'd heard about acid was how like bad it is. But this is someone who, for some reason, I respected as soon as I met him and was also a little bit infatuated with him. And now he's talking about this like magical, mystical drug that helped enlighten him. And me being this like pseudo-intellectual college student, I'm like, ooh, me, 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 I want to try this. So it's kind of funny because he hadn't done acid in a really long time, but because I was interested in it and we'd become friends, he ended up um, starting to do it again. And of course, the bad thing is that once he started doing it again, he had a problem stopping, which um, is very unusual. Acid is not an addictive drug, and it's something that a lot of people get over very quickly because scary things can happen. Um, but his purposes were very similar to mine in doing it and like wanting this um, intellectual broadening or spiritual awakening. I was looking for answers. I wasn't taking it to have fun. Like, I wanted to figure shit out. In the early aughts, Becca graduated high school and left her home in suburban New York to move to Dallas and study theater. It was there that she met Alex, aka shirtless, bleach blonde goatee guy. Her commitment to spiritual awakening went so far that she became known among her friends as the Trip Doctor. She would host events where she'd coach people on their psychedelic journey, talk friends down from the edge of mental collapse, and provide toys and activities for them along the way. But all that ended about a year later, on the night she refers to as her last trip on acid. The type of acid that I really, really loved was Microdot. Specifically, I really loved Black Pyramids, and they were going around Dallas for a while. 
Microdot, it's kind of deceptive because you could have like a ton of paper acid and be fine and have like one Microdot and go insane. So this isn't me going insane on it. Basically, I was sitting in coffee shop one day with my friends and there were these two guys, Blair and Chris, and I had a big crush on Blair. They were interested in doing acid, and they had gotten their hands on some blue pyramid. Wait, now, and how can you tell by looking at them what the difference is? They're, it's physically the color. So microdot, it's really, really, really small. I would say it's like four millimeters, and it's in kind of a diamond shape, but it's thicker in the middle, so it looks like a pyramid. And it's just really, really condensed acid. They were like, well, hey, do you want to come trip with us tonight? And I'm like, hell yeah, because I've got a crush on this kid, so totally I want to. And I mean, I had done so much acid at that point, and I've always been fine. And they knew that I had done a lot of acid, and they hadn't, so they thought that I'd be like a good person to have around, because I'd be in control and know what was going on. They lived in a southern part of Dallas. I think it was in Oak Cliff. And I didn't have a car at that point. So I had friends that were going to drive me to their place. And while I was being driven to their place, my friends um, stopped by at another friend's house so they could get a bag of weed. I was in the kitchen with their dealer, and the dealer had a bunch of black pyramids out on the kitchen counter. And I was like, oh, black pyramids, those are my favorite. I'm going to Oak Cliff to go trip tonight, but I'm going to be taking these blue pyramids. And I don't think I had even taken those before. I wasn't even sure if they were real. I was like, what the hell is a blue pyramid? So I bought three black pyramids off of him and I took them then. Then when I got to Blair and Chris's place, they dropped acid with me then. So I ended up having three black pyramids and I think two and a half of the blue pyramids. And like a normal dose is like one. Um, but I'd been doing a lot of acid so I was taking much more. Blair's house, we were at his house, and it was just the three of us there, and it was like a two-story family house, so the two of them were like, well, hey, you guys want to go and sit on the roof, and we can have our come-up be on the roof, and I was like, that sounds awesome. So we climb up this, like, rickety old ladder, three stories to get to the roof, and it was nighttime in Dallas. And the only thing you can really see are some trees from the streetlights. And as we're talking, every once in a while someone would say, oh man, I'm starting to feel it. And for me, I was already starting to come up because I had dropped half an hour before them. All of a sudden I saw, I saw like the most gorgeous sunrise I'd ever seen in my fucking life. And it starts turning like orange and red and just getting really vibrant, it's getting brighter and brighter, and I'm totally just zoning out on this. And so every once in a while the guys would check in with me and I'm like, I'm just watching this awesome sunrise, and they're like, that's cool, and so they start zoning out too, and then we start talking about our experience, and it's like we're experiencing the same thing. It was just gorgeous, and then we realize maybe it wasn't the best idea for us to climb up on a roof when we have like a head full of acid. So then we're like, oh shit, man, we're all really fucked up. How the hell are we gonna get down? And I, I honestly can't tell you how we got off the roof. Like, I don't remember, which is really weird for me because I used to always be very in control on acid. But somehow, we climbed down. I think Chris fell because I remember Blair being with him for a little while and Chris was, like, yelling. 
But at that point, I had kind of separated myself from them a little bit, and there was a wheelchair in their backyard. One of the things that I always found when I did acid is you end up in the most random situations, even if you were sober. Like, who has a wheelchair in their backyard? So I end up in this wheelchair with a mop in my hand. I can't tell you where I got this mop from, but I'm in the wheelchair with a mop. And then all of a sudden, Blair and Chris are playing with these glow sticks on strings. So they're like swinging them around and I just start cackling. And then they would say things to me. Are you okay? What's going on? And I couldn't respond in words. I would like meow or bark at them. They're trying to talk to me and I can't talk to them and I'm laughing at that. Like, I realize that's funny, that I can't talk to them. And they're starting to look all crazy and funny. And they put this book in front of me, and I think it was a script that Blair was working on. I really don't remember. So I'm reading it, and it wasn't words to me. And I'm hysterical still. I'm not seeing words. The letters are everywhere. They're turning into all crazy things. And I think that's hysterical. And then I spit my gum out into the book. I spit my gum out and there's drool coming out of my mouth into this book. And these two guys are like, we don't know what the fuck to do with her. And that's a sobering thing. I mean, if you're on a lot of drugs and then someone with you starts kind of being really fucking weird, that kind of sobers you up and that kills your trip. So they're like getting all freaked out, but they're on a lot of acid too. So they don't know really what to do at this point. And then Blair gets all upset because it's like his stuff that I just ruined because I spit gum and spit in it and then just like crumbled it up. So Chris and Blair are a little freaked out by now because I'm not responding to them and because they didn't know me that well. Like we had just become friends. They knew me through other people. I think they knew that I had a crush on Blair. So it was this weird situation of this girl that they didn't know really well who they knew she had taken a lot of acid before and now she's being all weird. And they're like, we don't know what the fuck's wrong Now's with a good time to talk so about weird. flipping over. Flipping over is a term that Becca learned from Alex. It's when you've taken so much of a psychedelic drug that you actually forget that you've taken anything, and the only assumption you can make is that you're dreaming. Somewhere between the wheelchair and spitting in Blair's script is when Becca flipped over and completely forgot that she had taken acid. And then somehow I wander into the house. I think I said I had to like use the bathroom or something, because I remember I went into the bathroom. So I go into the house, and the other thing with acid is, um, for me, when, whenever I went into another room or going from inside to outside or vice versa, I was always really struck with how much my environment would change. So going from outside and laughing hysterically with them and being totally crazy and then going inside, everything was different. And I was so aware of how it felt to be inside, like how geometric everything was and how closed in I was and how I felt somehow safer in a way because I wasn't in the big, big world I was just in. And then I got it in my head that I really was dreaming. Like then I started to get a little bit of consciousness about me and I was like, oh, this is awesome. I'm dreaming. And this is so fun because I'm in this huge playhouse now. And then I was like, okay, well, 
if I'm dreaming, then I lucid dream because I, I've been practicing lucid dreaming since I was a kid. And I said, so I can test if I'm dreaming or not. And my test was standing in the kitchen. I said, okay, the guys are going to walk in the door now. And they did. Like the guys walked in the door. And I was like, this is awesome. I'm dreaming. And so then I go, so then I go to go into the bathroom and I'm thinking to myself, the guys are going to stay in the kitchen. And they did. And I was like, this is great. So I remember using the toilet. Like I very clearly remember using the toilet. I don't remember closing the door. I think the guys actually had like come in and they saw me peeing with the door open. And they're like, okay, crazy fucking girl. And so somehow, and this is what they say, I never actually saw this. Somehow toilet paper ended up in the shower. So their version of the story is that I peed in the shower. I really, who knows? I, I really think that I peed in the toilet, but does it really matter? You know, the semantics of it. I was on a lot of drugs. Again, the mood for me shifted every time I went to another room. So I went from the kitchen to the bathroom. The mood shifted. I come back into the living room and the guys are in the middle of the living room dancing. I was like, oh, that's crazy. And I think they were playing Radiohead. Like, I know they were playing Radiohead. The music was just intense. So they came over to me and they're like, okay, what do you want? And I couldn't communicate. And so they handed me a phone and they told me to call somebody because I was freaking them out and they wanted me to leave. I have a head full of acid. I called 911, which is like, okay, if there is any huge drug faux pas, it's calling 911. You don't do that. That's just like, no, you, never in my life would I have ever thought. I was always the person who would like stop people from doing stupid, crazy shit like this, no matter how many drugs I was on. But this time, I just couldn't. Like, I was gone. So I called 911. <laughs> so bad. And they see me call 911 because they're both standing on either side of me as I'm dialing on this portable phone. And they're like, what the fuck? fuck and Blair automatically hangs up the phone they're like what the fuck is wrong with you they're yelling at me and again like I've never been in a situation and I still think I'm dreaming so I think this is hysterical I'm like that's so funny they think it's real it's not real I didn't really call 911 I'm like oh my little figments of my imagination you're so cute so <laughs> and then they're like we have to leave now They're on a lot of acid. Again, they don't do this very much. I'm on about three times as much as they are on. And we get in Blair's beat up old Volvo wagon. And as we're leaving the house and going into the front lawn, a cop car comes around the corner with its lights on. And we all freak out and jump in the bushes. <laughs> and I mean, the cop wasn't coming to us. They don't respond that quickly, but we're all freaked out. And that's when Blair was like, okay, that's it. We're definitely going now. So we get in his car and we start driving. And I mean, Oak Cliff is, is fairly suburban. There's not too much going on out there, but we had to drive through downtown to get me home because I lived in Highland Park. Um, Highland Park is like this haughty, toddy, fancy schmancy area of Dallas. But to get there, we had to go through all this other shit, especially because they didn't really know the most direct route to get there when they had a lot of acid and I didn't either I didn't really know anything I couldn't talk 
So we start driving and I just remember how cool it was to look out the window while I was being driven around. That was always one of my favorite things when I was on any sort of drug is being outside, looking out windows, being near lakes and trees and just seeing everything go by. So in a car, it's even more intense because I'm watching everything go by quickly and I'm trying to take in as much as I can and everything's changing and I'm like hallucinating but then also seeing things that are All of a sudden, I hear all this banging and I hear Chris yell, it's the Christians! I'm like, what? And then I look in front of me and suddenly we're in the middle of downtown Dallas, like the financial district. I don't even know why we were there at all. Like that's totally not the right way to go home. I had completely missed that we were suddenly in this huge crowd of people and were stopped in all of this traffic with this group of Christian anti-abortion protesters walking in front of us, banging on our car hood with crosses and they're holding up like the little dead fetus babies and shit. I don't know what's going on. I'm just, but I think it's hysterical because I still think everything's hysterical. So I'm in the back seat giggling like crazy. I'm like, ah! <laughs> like I'm a fucking dolphin. I mean, it's gross. Like this horrible shrieking laughter. And Chris and Blair start freaking out. And Blair's like, it's the end of the world. It's the end of the world. We should have never done this. This is horrible. Why do we do this? And Chris is like trying to calm him down. He's like, dude, just drive. Just, just concentrate and just drive. And I'm still just, I was like, this is hysterical. Because to me, in dream world, you can't get hurt. So I'm like, whatever. If it's the end of the world in my dream, it's cool. I'll wake up. I wasn't thinking I'm in a car and on a lot of drugs. I'm just like, it's cool. I don't know how we got out of there. I just remember Blair and Chris being really freaked out. And at this point, the two of them are screaming nonstop, just screaming about everything that happened in the night, screaming at me because I called 911, screaming at me because I can't talk, screaming at me because I'm a fucking idiot. Um, and, <laughs> and eventually, somehow, we get back to my dorm. That's the very next thing I remember. And it's like a Friday night, so all these gross freshmen are partying and the lights in the dorm are so bright. They're like these horrible fluorescent lights. So I'm trying to get through the hallways of the dorm with Chris and Blair with me and everyone's screaming and smiling and having this great time. And I'm like, what's going on? Why is my dream getting so crappy now? So we get in my dorm room and I light a cigarette right underneath the smoke detector. And Chris and Blair are like, um, are you supposed to do that in here? I'm like, what? What do you, you can smoke wherever you want to. But like, it's my dream world, you know? And at that point, I could actually talk a little bit. So that's why I was able to say like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Smoke in here, whatever. So then I remember Chris lit up a cigarette. And then he looked right above my head and saw the smoke detector. And he grabbed my cigarette and his and threw them out the window. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? Because again, like, I'm almost getting them busted. So they sit with me for a minute and they're like, are you going to be okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be fine. And they say, yeah, we think you just need to go to sleep or something. And still, I, even though I can talk, I don't know why they're upset. I don't know that I've taken any drugs. I, I really don't really understand what's going on. I know that like they're angry about something, but I have not gone it through my head at this point that they're angry at me. So they leave and I'm thinking to myself, okay, it's time to go to bed. 
So I get in bed and I start trying to watch a movie and I don't understand why the characters in the movies all have like their faces are moving and the TV is moving a little and everything kind of looks electric. Do you remember what movie it was? Oh God. It was something like 16 Candles. It was an 80s movie. I remember that. I remember it was like one of those good times high school 80s movies because I do remember that everyone in the movie was like sickeningly sweet and I didn't get that either and I felt really removed from the movie that I was watching I felt like it was this really foreign thing and that everything was a little too picture perfect and it bothered me and I'm seeing this rainbow pattern on top of their face and I'm not knowing why because I still don't remember that I took anything so I'm just like really confused at this point and I start getting upset confused, like grumpy. And so I turn the TV off and I turn off all the lights and I just kind of huddle in my bed with my covers over my head. Cause I was like, I don't, I, I just want to go to sleep now. I wasn't having fun anymore. And I was like, okay, I just want to go to sleep or I want to wake up. Cause I still was kind of teetering on the whether am I dreaming or not. So I was like, okay, it's time to wake up now. So I closed my eyes for, I don't know. It seemed like a long time, but it was probably like five seconds. And I opened my eyes and I was still in my dorm room. I close my eyes. I open my eyes. I'm still in my dorm room. And I'm getting pissed off now. So then I'm saying, okay, we'll just go to sleep. Just go to sleep. 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 I can't go to sleep. It's just not happening. So I pick up my covers from over my head. And right next to my bed is a wall. And the wall looks like green and orange. And it has that pattern on top of it. Like that digital pattern. All these little diamonds. And it's just like this puke green, kind of. It was scary. It was like something out of a horror movie. I put my hands up on the wall and I can feel things moving in the wall. I can feel people flushing toilets because the piping went through there. So that that's actually like realistic is that the wall would be moving a little bit, but on drugs it was moving even more. And I was so bothered by hearing the plumbing because that made me think of like shit and piss throwing up and then all these girls were laughing I could hear like all this laughing echoing through the dorm rooms and that really bothered me too because I was like what are they laughing at it was just it was annoying because I was feeling really grumpy and they were laughing and it felt almost like this weird mocking me thing so then I felt like I was in this um jar because I was in this dorm room and the dorm rooms there were like concrete in this like concrete dorm room and it felt like a jail cell and all these voices were echoing around me of everyone from in the hallways going out to have fun on their Friday nights. And I remember it hit me that I didn't have a conscious voice in my head. You know how it's possible to sit and think inside your head like okay for for example I can walk around the food court at work trying to decide what I want to have for lunch and in my head I'll be thinking oh well do you want that for lunch well I don't know maybe I want to have pizza for lunch well how will pizza make me feel later just like you know the voice in your head and it wasn't in my head it was like bigger it was it was as if I had lost something and I wasn't my soul wasn't in my body anymore 
this is what I was thinking, you know, obviously this is fucking crazy, but it was like my soul wasn't in my body anymore. My body was somewhere else and my soul was all there was and it was huge and it was way outside of my head. And so everything else that was outside of my head was part of it and was in it. And that freaked me out too, because it was like, no, wait, where's my consciousness? Where's that thing in my head? What the fuck happened to me? What the fuck did I do? I don't know what's going on. What happened? And then I remembered that I took acid. I had never experienced anything like this from acid before. So I thought that I had done something really, really bad, really awful. I thought that I was hallucinating so badly that my body was back in Dallas somewhere dead in a ditch. And my mind had created this other conscious world for me to have to deal with. And then I got in my head that, no, it wasn't that my body was dead in a ditch somewhere. It was that I had gone insane. And I'd been on a trip with someone who ended up going insane, um, who just didn't come back. And I thought that that had happened to me. I had always said that I was of this like strong constitution, this strong mind, you have to have a strong mind to do acid, and, and like no, no way could that have happened to me. But that was the only conclusion I could come to was that my body was in like a mental institution somewhere, and my mind, not knowing how to cope, put me back in my dorm room and put me in this crazy, what are the Catholics called, purgatory? They put me in this purgatory where I would just have to walk around until my body died. And that's when I came to the conclusion that the only way around it was to kill myself. Because I thought that if I killed myself in this dream state, that that would allow my consciousness to move on to wherever it needs to. Like it will allow my soul to, I don't know, be reincarnated, if you will. So I went in the bathroom and I got a razor blade and I stood there in front of the mirror with these like horrible fluorescent lights on. And I was like, okay, well, this is, this is what I need to do. And I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I'm not recognizing myself at all. It was as if, like, if someone could just suddenly be in the worst stage of depression ever, that's where I was. It was just, I, there was no hope. I didn't recognize myself. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what was going on. And I thought it was the only way out. So I held this razor blade to my wrist. And I was like, okay, okay. And meanwhile, physiologically, like back in reality, what's happening is that I'm starting to wean off the drug, which is why I'm becoming more and more conscious about what's going on. That also allowed me to kind of take pause for a second and realize what I was doing. And I was like, okay, well, I think this is true. I think that I'm stuck in this purgatory. I think that I'm going to end up in the storm room forever with these crazy screaming girls around me and hearing all the pipe noises. But let me just try to make a phone call first before I give up all hope and just see if anyone answers. And basically in my head, it was like, they either answer and I'm saved or they don't answer. And it's true that no one else is out there and that I've got to do this. And I called my friend Mandolin and she answered the phone. It was like, God bless her because that girl fucking saved me that night. She answered the phone and she was in her dorm room in the next dorm over. And I was, I don't even know what I said to her, but I know I said enough for her to come to my room and get me. 
because she came over and she was like, okay, what's going on? And I started explaining it. And I'm telling her the whole time that she's a figment of my imagination that I like created to come and try to save me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so you have to tell me you have to take me on this quest and this and that. So we go on a quest. And first, I, I think I woke her up and she had to like, oh, wait. Oh, shit. I just remembered this. No, she was having sex when I called her. I totally remember that. She was having sex with this girl that she wasn't supposed to be sleeping with anymore. And I totally called her during that because I remember her looking like she had just woken up. And I said something about it and she said how it was like good that I had called her because I kind of broke that up. That's so funny. Um, we had to go back to her dorm for a little bit so she could get dressed and everything so she could take me on this quest that I need to go on. And this guy, I don't remember what the deal was with this guy. I just remember he was someone that I really didn't like and he was standing outside and he was smoking cigarettes and I'm talking to Mandolin smoking a cigarette with her before she goes in the dorm and I'm going on and on about the things that have happened to me that night. I had seen God and that reincarnation is definitely true because that was what I'd experienced and I experienced universal consciousness and everything flowing through me and being a part of everything and how it freaks The guy interrupts my conversation with Mandolin and he says, what are you on? I'm like, ugh. So then I felt even worse and I just felt like everyone was looking at me and I was being judged and I suddenly felt like I could read all of their thoughts and I was just hearing all of these evil negative things coming towards me. And finally, Mandolin went in and got ready, and she was like, okay, well, where are we going? And I said that I had to go back to the beginning. Okay, well, where's that? And I was like, I have to go back to Blair's house. And the whole time, I'm just still bantering about all these things. I'm sure I'm freaking her out. And she, like, God love her. She was so patient with me. She was so great. She was just, like, chain-smoking the whole time in this sweatshirt and, like, sweatpants and looking as shitty as I was. And she must have been thinking, like, I can't believe I got myself into this. This fucking crazy girl's in my passenger seat. But she was being a doll about it. So we get to Blair and Chris's, and they're not there. So I leave them this note. <laughs> I wish I could remember verbatim what this says. And I'm like, Blair and Chris, I figured it out. I do remember that I said that. It's like, I figured it out. And I said something about how, like, I came there to tell them. And that was it. And I was like, okay, I have to go see Alex. So Alex, again, was the guy who had introduced me to Asin. And at that point, he and I had become a little estranged. Uh, some shit had gone down. I had seen through him a little bit. He was, uh, I don't want to say he was a loser, because that's really harsh, but he wasn't exactly trying to better himself at all. You know, he worked overnight shifts at Petco and lived in a one-room apartment that he never cleaned, and he would have, like, one meal a day that he would buy at 7-Eleven. And, you know, I would go over to his place, and it was just, like, filthy, and it reeked, and he was always on something. So, yeah, he wasn't the most positive person ever, but I needed to see him in that moment, because he was my mentor when it came to acid. So Mandolin brings me over there, he answers the door, 
and I'm like crazy, you know, talking a mile a minute, I like I had been doing for the past hour, because after not being able to talk for a few hours, I suddenly couldn't stop talking. And so I start going into the whole thing about what's going on and blah, blah, blah. And we sit down on his um, floor and I'm telling him everything that's going on. And he starts explaining to me how I flipped over and that that had happened to him a couple of times. And he's like calming me down. He's like, yeah, well, that, that happens every once in a while. He says, yeah, it's really scary. The first time it happened to me, I never did acid again. Well, I, did, I never did acid for about a year. And um, he said, but, you know, you'll get over it and you'll want to do it again. And I'm like, no, no, I'm never going to want to do it again. No, this is horrible. No, it was the most depressing thing ever. I saw all this shit and you can't cheat death by doing acid. Like, you can't cheat the system. You can't get answers from it. And then our conversation got cut short because it turned out that he had this girl in his bedroom who I knew because I worked with her and they had just finished getting all coitus together. And then it hits me that I didn't even give him a chance when he answered the door to say, you know, like he couldn't talk to me or anything. And this was before we all had cell phones. It's not like I called him before I was coming over. Um, so yeah, I pretty much busted into his apartment while he was with some chick. So that was... Not the best move on my part. Uh, and then the evening kind of winded down. Mandolin took me back to my dorm room and I calmed down a bit. And um, I spent the next three days in bed crying. It, w it was awful. I would never wish that on anybody. I went through these waves of like being horribly embarrassed that I couldn't control myself in front of Chris and Blair, and then being petrified as to what would have happened if I had actually slipped my wrists, going through this whole mindfuck of what is real and what is God and like what is human consciousness. And at that point, I was completely convinced in reincarnation, like complete. I mean, I, I came away with a lot of conclusions from that experience and friends of mine would come and bring me meals and stuff. I had some great friends at that time and they, they really tried to take care of me because they knew something happened but I couldn't talk about the whole thing and finally after three days of being in bed crying I got up and I wrote about all my conclusions um, I wrote like three or four pages about what had happened and I brought it to a professor that I had in the theology department, who I really, really trusted. And he was awesome. He probably turned everything around for me, because I let my friends read it, and some of them thought I was crazy, and some of them thought it was interesting, but like none of them could give me advice on anything. And I brought it to him. Not only did he give me advice, he gave me books on shamanism, books on people who use uh, hallucinogenics for religious purposes, for... Um, for learning purposes. He gave me all this literature that I had no idea existed. I thought I had done this horrible, devious thing that no one had done or explored before. I thought this was like my experience. And then to be able to sit there and read all these books and see that it wasn't just me, that other people have been through this. Not only did I feel validated, but I felt really comforted in what had happened. And I started feeling more like myself at that point. My inner consciousness that had gotten so, so big and got out of my head had come back and I was me again and I was okay with that. Um, 
And I knew that there was still a lot out there that I didn't understand. Because that was the thing, is that my professor sat me down and he said, okay, this was your experience. And he said, now, remember you were on drugs. He's like, it does, it can give you answers. But are those answers real? And that's a great thing that I've taken with me is that, you know, you could lock someone in a room for a year and they'll come out with lots of things that they think are true and they think are real. But is it real in a universal sense or is it just their experience? And then you give that person drugs and they're going to come up with more things that are real and, and think that their situations are so realistic because when you're on these drugs, it, it seems so vivid and it seems like there's no other answer. Like you're seeing it, you're in it. This is how it is. And then to remember, wait, maybe these were just chemicals affecting my brain. All these answers came from me. Maybe they didn't come from a bigger collective. It gave me enough questionable doubt to kind of, I guess, re-enter society and be cool. How old were you? I was... 19. Yeah, it was right before I met um, my fiance, so my ex-fiance. Despite referring to this as her last trip on acid, Becca did trip a couple times after this. She now lives in Massachusetts with her husband and two kids, where she works in tech and teaches yoga. The last she heard from Chris and Blair, they were planning to make a movie out of this. They even asked Becca if she would play herself. She declined. 